What's up, everybody? Welcome back into another episode of the Blue Jay Beat Podcast Post Game Edition. Um, I'm Matt DeMarinas from White and Blue Review. I'm joined by Alex Sidnalar of Mid Major Madness, uh, formerly Big East Coast Bias, formerly White and Blue Review, formerly 1620 The Zone, formerly Blue Jay Banter, and other things and stuff. Formerly CU Grounds Crew, World Series Grounds Crew. He's got a long resume. I could keep going. Yep, I mean, did you tell everybody you you're engaged yet? Show off the. Did you tell everybody so, yet? Did that just break that news? Is that just happened? Do we have to record to get re-record? Well, so so I can't post it online until Carly texts back all of her friends that she's had <laughs> left on there for a while. So God, unless they listen to the podcast, I hope they're big fans. Out, they will. <laughs> well, I do too. But if they are, you know, you can yell at Carly because she it's her responsibility to text them, and she hasn't done it yet, so. Yeah, that's on her, man. Gotcha. And the other beautiful angelic voice there is Robbie Lula from, let's see, Blue Jay Banter, sixteen twenty the zone. Formerly Blue Jay Banter. Formerly Blue Jay Banter, sixteen twenty the zone. Uh, I don't know. You did other stuff that have you said other stuff yet? Have you reported other stuff yet? I don't uh, want to break. I don't want to break everybody's exciting news like on. That one's last. that one's still pending. Okay, got it. So nothing, don't say that one yet. Nothing to report there yet. <laughs> hush, hush on you don't know what we're talking about. I have to wait until the people that pay me a living wage say that I can do this other thing that does not pay me a living wage. Ah, understood. <laughs> got it. Got it. But in their spare time, they watch Creighton sports and stuff, and they yell and sometimes curse and sometimes smile and laugh. So we're going to try to provide all of that today. Maybe a few light on the cursing because Creighton won, so. Um. Yeah, just a Alex doesn't agree with that already. I already have a dissension in the ranks. I swear as much when I'm happy as I do when I'm angry. Do you really? Yeah, that seems odd. In fact, if anything, I swear more. Yeah, I think so. I I'm a joyful swearer. Are you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm already not liking how light you guys are on audio, so I'm gonna adjust your audio real quick because I think you guys should be louder. Do I need to be closer? Does that help? That does help. all right, I was leaning. I can yell really loud. Yeah, if you guys to. could not be 10, 15 <laughs> feet away from your microphones, that'd be an improvement in the sound quality for sure. Yeah, there we is, go. I got you. That's enough. Yeah, and we're not using video, so you can really be close like that, Alex. I might take a picture of it to post it out of context <laughs> later, but um, yeah. So just, uh, first of all, general impressions of the the hoops game today that you guys watched and bitched incessantly about in our text thread, but eventually Creighton started like playing really well. And then all of a sudden no no one was texting anything for some reason. Well, I mean, the first half was just an absolute rock fight and was really hard to watch. I I think that's hard to argue with Um, it. For me, at least that's part of the, that's part of the reason that I bitched so much during those types of games, even though, you know, they were up by 10 at one point in the first half, they still went into halftime with a lead barely. But, like, I just hate watching that type of basketball. That's part of the reason I'm a Creighton fan is because they don't play that type of basketball very often. Like, I could have been born in Cincinnati, and I never would have rooted for Cincinnati or Xavier for that exact reason. (laughs) And, you know, and so it's just – it's not enjoyable for me to watch games like that. Obviously, in the second half, they played a lot better um, and a lot more like Creighton. But, you know, it was – the first half was just a tough hang. I don't know how else to put it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, you kind of I have to expect that. Game, though. 
I expected that going in because it's UConn. Right, I expected it, too. it doesn't mean I had to enjoy it. Yes, that's a different conversation. But Alex, what do you like, think? Yeah, I expect a colonoscopy is going to be really unpleasant. Robbie, I tried to ask Alex what he thought. <laughs> Play nice, or I'm going to put you in the pout mode. No. Like, 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 uh, what's it like? Shadow over there. All right, my bad, my bad. It's okay. Go ahead, Alex. You can you can eat. No, now. I mean honestly, I, I I agree with what Robbie was saying because I mean it it was it was just bad basketball. And, 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 okay, so Danny Hurley, he does that, right? He likes to play that kind of style where it makes you frustrated if you're the opposing team's fan because it's just frustrating. And they were missing open shots, Creighton was, and UConn was playing extraordinarily aggressive defense in the first half where they weren't letting anybody who was off ball get any room whatsoever. And so it was tough because it was really physical and there should have been more fouls called, I thought. And... UConn just seemed to get away with some stuff. And then, you know, after Hurley got teed up, which was hilarious and very funny, also doesn't wear a mask at all, which is pretty embarrassing. Um, I mean, I guess his chin's warm. His neck is really warm, like that, that nice part, the double chin, like that That stayed toasty for, for Hurley the whole game, which is cool. But after he got teed up, what Creighton went on a 15-5 to five run, mm-hmm. and they shit the bed for the rest of the half. Mm. Okay. That's what I perceive. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> that's Alex's take. Uh, I was, I was I, right off the jump. I was looking at just because I felt like that first eight minutes of effort or whatever they want to refer to it as of the Providence game was the reason they lost um, the other night. So I was looking. I was really honed in on that side of the floor, like how quickly was Creighton rotating. How well were they doing at tracing the ball and jumping to the ball on the catch and like making it tough for UConn to score? A UConn team that struggles to score anyway, just like Providence. Providence isn't a great scoring team, but if you make shit easy for them, they can score pretty effectively, right? So I was that was what I was looking for there. I you know Creighton obviously had issues in the you know getting defensive rebounds, which I felt like I mean that's just kind of what what you expect there when you play that a UConn team that crashes Although, crashes as relentlessly as they do. However, the defensive effort on the floor was night and day different between the Providence game. Creighton was flying oh, around. Man. They were covering gaps. Um, they were staying in front of the ball for the most part. Uh, and their rotations were really good. Even, you know, on those, you, you saw like Nate Watson really got going for Providence because, you know, where he was catching the ball, uh, where the rotation, how late the rotations were to stop him when it was a pick and roll situation or a slip to the rim. Today, UConn didn't get anything easy inside. That's why they missed so many layups and had so many offensive rebounds. But uh, Creighton's rotations had a big part of that. They were swiping at the ball on the drive. Um, they were cutting off those little slips to the rim earlier at an earlier point than they were against uh, Providence. And I felt like that set a good tone for the Jays because even though they, you know, they probably knew going in that offense was going to be difficult to come by consistently because they weren't going to get clean looks the whole game. And there was going to be stretches where they were cold because a, they're in a shooting slump. B, UConn makes that tough in general because of their quickness and their length. Um, so I thought that setting the tone on the defensive end for, the, for Creighton kind of helped them um, settle into the type of energy they had to bring in that game to win it. And I felt like that was much better at the start of this one than it was against Providence. I thought the energy defensively was better from the start. I thought the execution took a little while to dial in. Part of the reason that and Jacob, our buddy Jacob Padilla, pointed this out on Twitter. 
and I agree with them 100%. I, I, part of the reason that they were giving up so many deep offensive rebounds early was because they were getting beat off the ball from that initial ball handler. And so there was rotation to help him, rotation to make sure Sonogo was not running free under the basket. And then ah. that extra guy is the one getting the offensive rebound because there's no one there to box him out. Once they started doing a better job of keeping their man in front of them, I'd say probably like halfway through the first half, the offensive rebounding rate went down dramatically. They had eight in the first like eight minutes of the game and only had 10 the last 30. They, I mean, they're going to get offensive rebounds, right? But the rate of – it took Creighton like six minutes to get their first rebound of the game. And then after that, once they stopped allowing initial ball penetration to beat their to beat the initial defender at the point of attack, I thought they did a much better job, and that allowed them to do a much better job rebounding. Yeah, and I, I don't know what you do in order to stop UConn from getting all those offensive rebounds. And I, I thought it was it was kind of funny what Donnie Marshall said, and Rob, you pointed this out on Twitter, is that Creighton hadn't faced a, a rebounding team like UConn yet in the season. I'm like, well, they, <laughs> they played Providence, they played UConn before. <laughs> and so I, I don't know how you fix that for Creighton, and I don't know if you necessarily need to. I think as the game went on, they did adjust, but um, those offensive rebounds, especially in those first eight minutes, it was just – they were just lucky that UConn wasn't scoring on each every one of them. <laughs> Granted, you know, there was, what, three of them that came on the same exact possession – yeah, they're, they came in like bunches a couple times. Um, and the other thing is, I, I've said this before, from like an analytics standpoint, offensive rebounds actually really don't matter until they get to a ridiculous amount, which in the first eight minutes of the game, they were at a ridiculous amount, but they weren't scoring off of them still. I think they had eight offensive rebounds and only like two or three points off of those offensive rebounds early. So that's the number that matters the second chance points, not offensive rebounds. And frankly, if your defensive rate stays about what it is on first possessions, as it does second chances, you're fine. The problem is a lot of second chance or a lot of offensive rebounds for certain teams. It doesn't seem like for Creighton, because they actually do a really good job on second chance opportunities for the most part is you get an instant offensive rebound tip or a dunk and then an and one. And so you get three points, boom, right away off of an offensive rebound. That's when it becomes troublesome. There's actually very little direct correlation to offensive rebounding and winning basketball games. Mm-hmm. Like there just isn't. Like you can look through as however many stats you want until it gets to a crazy, crazy amount, like above 40% offensive rebound rate that you're giving up. Until it gets to that amount, it doesn't consistently change the outcome of games. It just doesn't. And well, I know people the- hate to say that. Or like, especially old school guys, like hate to hear that because they're like rebounding wins games. It's like, well, not really. <laughs> right. Well, that's the, the thing that was problematic about it was UConn was at 50% offensive rebounding rate in the first half. And then yeah, basically, were- basically 38.9% at that 40% threshold in the second half. So they were getting enough of them for to be a problem to affect the outcome of the game. However, the, I, I think to Alex's question is like, how does Creighton – how does Creighton change that? Because they are built how they're built. So there, there is some truth to that in some degree. However, there are some controllable aspects of it from, from Creighton's end, you know, they're not going to out jump everybody. And if it's, if they're, you know, if they're under the basket and they're and the guy misses like a bunny, you're probably not going to move him out of range to get his put back basically. 
So those are types of rebounds. There are types of rebounds that that teams get on Creighton that are just unavoidable. Like you're you're in a bad position already, and you're at the will of basically the ball going in the hoop if they can put it in there. The ones they can control are there's a lot of instances where Creighton will be, you know, boxing someone out and they'll be holding off with one arm and trying to grab the ball with the other. And they'll either lose that out of bounds or lose it on the floor. And it's a loose ball situation ends up in a tie up and, or just a straight turnover. Those are types of rebounds they can control because they, they, they practice a lot on, you know, getting a body on the nearest guy you can find and then going up with two hands. So when you don't go up with two hands and you're already undersized, your likelihood of securing that thing is not great in the first place. The second one is to Ravi's point about allowing driving lanes on the first shot, because when you allow the driving lane, you fill that with the defender who should be boxing out that shooter who's getting the, so instead of the, you're like one guy behind the train essentially. Right. So the yeah, guy, you have to help rim help is being stopped by the help defender. The guy defending him is behind yeah. and then you're not blocking out somebody who gets a free lane to the hoop to kind of either tip it or grab it or put it back up or kick it out for a three. So there are types of offensive. Yeah, that's why it's really important for, it's not just about the number. It's about the type of offensive rebounds they're getting. Like that's why what to Robbie's point, teams are getting a lot of offensive rebounds against Creighton, but they're not necessarily getting a lot of points off that extra possession or that second opportunity. That's because a lot of the offensive rebounds that Creighton gives up a good majority of them are just because they get out jump sometimes and that's going to happen. So you know, you can't you can't get bigger throughout a season, um, but you can clean some things up from a controllable aspect. And I think, you know, when you see when you look at Creighton's second shot defense or third shot defense when they're giving up second chance opportunities on the offensive glass, it's it's a combination of things. So it's not always necessarily something they can control. But when the things that they can control start getting out of out of whack, like the Marquette game, go back to the Marquette loss, for example, there were a lot of rebounds Creighton didn't get that they could have gotten. They, mm-hmm. con- they controlled – there was a lot of second-chance opportunities that, that Marquette got that, that Creighton could have changed the outcome of based on what they can control. It wasn't necessarily just getting bodied by bigger guys. Um, the Providence game and the UConn games might be a different story because they were just getting – you know, in some, to, for the most part, because they were just getting beat by bigger bigger players most of the time. So that's why you didn't see it. That's why you didn't see that it hurt them as bad as it could have in those three games, even though they lost one of them. Yeah, I mean, like, there's some instances where they're just going to get bullied, mm-hmm. and there's not a ton you can do there. But a lot of, the, like you said, a lot of the rebounds they give up are, um, I mean, it seems like a lot of them are longer rebounds, so you're not in that point-blank scoring range again, which basically just means, okay, you reset your defense and you play again. And then a team like Providence or UConn, um, and honestly, a lot of these teams that are really good at offensive rebounding, part of it is because they're shitty at offense. Like they're bad at offense, but they miss a right. ton of shots. Right. They know they have to crash the glass. Yes, because they would never score otherwise. Right. Right. And so, like, that's part of the equation that people never really think about either. And it's like, okay, as long as I don't give this person a shot at the rim, I still like my chances of them not to score mm-hmm. because we're bad at offense. And so, from just a pure number standpoint, and I know we were talking about, um, offensive rebounding percentage and that's a better way to look at it but when you look at oh they gave up 18 offensive rebounds it's like yeah because they missed a ton of shots like that's how it's gonna go sometimes and the the percentages were alarming especially early on but like you said 
I think a lot of them are in situations where they have a chance to reset their defense and not just give up instant buckets off of offensive rebounds. And really, to me, that's what matters. They do a pretty good job of second and third shot defense, like you talked about. And it's it's one of those things that they usually are offensively good enough to overcome, right? And when you play a game like they did against uh, Providence, where you shoot what four twenty three from three, and you give up the offensive rebounds, and like and 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 like yeah, then mm-hmm. it becomes a problem if it's a block in the Jenga stack. Right. But, yeah. and yet it was only a four point loss at the end of the day too. Like all exactly. The- it was a four point <laughs> loss, in which yeah. case Denzel went one for 10 and, and Mitch only took or only made one shot and it was still mm-hmm. only a four point loss. Right. Um, offensive rebounding and second chance points have to be accumulated along with other things in order to lead to a loss. And that's why they lost to Providence. And that's why they didn't lose to UConn because it didn't Mm -hmm. accumulate, even though they still didn't shoot the ball that well, I think they were still only 30% from three. They didn't accumulate eight other things that went wrong. It's kind of funny when you look at it, like Providence was plus 13, just in the offensive rebound column, but they were only plus five in second chance points. Think about that. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's insane. Like that difference is like UConn needs to be pissed off about that. Cause that's like, wow. How did that, how is that even, how do we kill a team that bad on the glass and only end up with a plus five advantage in the scoring column as a result of it? Cause most people, when they're, when they're figuring offensive rebounds and how they result to points, yeah. you think, Hey, I can shoot 50% on my second chance points. Right. Mm-hmm. So if they got nine buckets off of 18 offensive rebounds, they would have gotten at least 18 second chance points, right? Right. And what they end up with for the game? 12. <laughs> right. So like you're shooting an awful percentage on your second chance points if you can't even get, you know what I mean? Like your second chance points and your offensive rebounds should be fairly close mm-hmm. if you're shooting them at a 50% rate, which – where they, most people get their offensive rebounds, you should shoot it at at least a 50% rate. They got 45% of their misses, and they only scored 12 <laughs> points. That's what I'm saying. It's a bad <laughs> offensive team. It doesn't, matter how, it doesn't matter how they got the possession, whether it was off their own miss or off of Creighton's miss. Yeah. They're still a bad offensive team when they yeah. have the like, in the half court. That doesn't change. 45% well, of their misses, and they only it barely averaged at half a, over half a point on the extra chance. Like It's like – it's Creighton insane. played. Creighton played really well defensively. UConn missed some shots they probably should have made. But when you're talking about a combination of things, like UConn did not, UConn did not deserve to win that game based on no. offensive rebounds alone. Dude, they were six of sixteen from layups. Was that what they were for the game? Yeah, UConn. I'm like, holy shit! You're not gonna win any game if you're six of sixteen from that fucking close. Yeah, that's pretty bad. <laughs> That's not even counting the turnovers either, because like Sonogo had like a couple catch and travels in there. Like, oh yeah, he had a, off he those had a little, yeah, yeah, off those little swipes on the help. He had a uh, he had a hook too. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, the hook late. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, <laughs> you're talking about you're talking like six out of twenty possessions, basically. Like it's crazy too. It's crazy too because I like UConn. I think they're a good team. Obviously, not having Book Night is like a huge loss. Like I understand that, but I still think they're pretty good without him. And it's just like they they played terrible today. I thought. I mean, some of that was Creighton, some of that was them. That's how the game goes. That's how sports go. You, you know, you're not in total control of stopping, you know, your opponent. If the, if if Creighton had been the sole reason that UConn played as poorly as they did, they would have won by thirty today because that's how yeah. bad UConn was. But that was just it was just it's just funny. Like because I know everybody gets upset 
about the rebounding, and it is hard to look at when you're basically at will of the ball bouncing into your hands. Otherwise, you're not getting it. And it's just like, but, man, UConn's missing a ton of shots. Like, I can't – it's not like the shot making is going to improve because they keep catching the ball after they miss it. I mean, it's just – oh, man, Gillespie just – That's what I'm saying. Like, it's a way over – valued portion when it comes to winning basketball games right but it only tells half the story right but from a fan perspective it's so fucking frustrating because it's like oh my god they got it their own ball or their own offensive rebound again and it's super hard to watch yeah and so you just i mean there's just this anticipation when you're watching it and it's like oh my god they got another offensive rebound they're gonna get an easy bucket except they went six of 16 from layup so it's like even when they're in close they weren't making it Mm -hmm. So it's just frustrating to watch because you're, it's just that anticipation of it. And so it, that, that, that thought and that feeling lingers, even if it doesn't translate into UConn scoring points. Mm-hmm. And so I think for a lot of fans' perspectives, especially on Twitter that you can you know, see publicly during the game, it makes sense why the fans are upset because they're like, why the fuck aren't we getting these rebounds? Except they're only losing maybe, what, how many points per those offensive rebounds, Matt? Uh, How many? Point, it was zero point six. Right. <laughs> so you're losing that many on those yeah. offensive boards. It's like, yeah, well, I'll take that every game, especially against a team like UConn or a team like Providence. So it's like easy. I mean, UConn hit thirty percent of their threes and forty percent of their twos today. I mean, that's just <laughs> that's just ugly stuff right there. That's bad basketball. I mean, yeah. it's bad basketball. But that's why numbers. That's why like that's why analytics are important, right? Because you watch a game. And if you only watched basketball games, you would think rebounding was the most important thing in the world because it drives you crazy. And there's like a visceral anger when your team doesn't get a rebound, right? Mm -hmm. Or when you Mm -hmm. give up an offensive rebound, you just want to lose your mind. But then you look at the correlations and you're like, oh, it doesn't really matter. Most of the time. Yeah. It really doesn't matter. That's why, that's why rebounding margin is is the funniest thing that commentators constantly reference in the game. Like Creighton was minus fifteen in offense in rebounds today. Like that's the that's the rebounding margin that people talk about. Yeah, and it just doesn't matter. That old school like stat that everybody read. Oh, Creighton's just getting killed on the glass today. Okay, and they're like in control of this game right now. And I'd never heard of that concept before, where rebounding margin doesn't matter until Ravi and I had to do the Texas Tech post game okay. last year. Yeah, I mentioned it to I can't remember what coach we were talking to. And then I immediately got a text from Jacob saying, oh, no, Alex, what'd you do? And then we were like, ha, 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 what an idiot. <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah, dude. No. Let's try to educate educate the listeners right now. Rebounding margin is not a thing. Like, get Look, that, get that going. To, you have to, like, completely ridicule people in order for them to, like, get off of that. Is that, is that how it works? Yeah. <laughs> it's embedded too much in the basketball, like, it's lexicon that you have to. It's like when uh, – it's like when baseball didn't care about on base percentage and they just wanted to look at that. <laughs> right. No, Juan Pierce sucks. Stop it. Dude, it might have been – it might be like – I don't know. Oh, it's starting to snow. Here we go. Um, It might be like uh, – it's got to be a good five-plus years since I've referenced like batting average before on base percentage because you're just like – you're like, duh, there is a lot of luck in where you hit the freaking ball if it gets through or not. Yeah, like if you're yeah. talking about batting average, it's like it's like batting average of ball in play. Yeah. Something like that. You can't just go straight. It's like hard oh, hit contact, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like I I I was an early adopter of exit velocity. It's like, uh-huh. man, this guy is just hitting 
the piss out of the ball every time. I don't care where it goes. That's going to work out more often than not, right? Yeah. But, you know, you, you if somebody comes up to you, it's like, oh, this guy's hitting 290. And it's like, and he's got a 294 on base percentage, all right? right. Get out of here. Yeah. I remember having a conversation with, like, a Twins fan a couple of years ago or whatever, and it was like, they were just hating all the moves they were making in the offseason. I'm just like, dude, you guys are going to mash. Like, this squad, <laughs> this squad does nothing but, like, barrel balls up. <laughs> like, there's a bunch – all you have is a bunch of dudes now who just nothing but barrels. And they led the league in home runs. Like, like that's what happened. But the, funny, but the funny thing about that Twins team is, is that they had a pretty shaky rotation. Mm-hmm. All those pitchers still got wins, even though the offense scored, what, eight runs a game. Yeah. And it's like, well, the opposing team still scored six, and that pitcher still got the win. And it's like, right. well, he didn't pitch well. Right. Yeah, that pitcher still got margin pitcher wins. I think those are. But you have to you have to build your team around its weaknesses, right? So the Twins knew we got we got bad arms on the mound every day. Uh, we need to counter this with a, just an absurd offense. So we. That's what Creighton offer. does. Creighton knows they would get killed in a half court battle with if it comes down to offensive rebounds and free throw shooting, they're going to get beat. But they're like, look, we have some next level shooters and our pace is crazy good. So we're going to play fast and and throw, throw it in from basically 22 to 35 feet on it. Depends on who has the ball. And that's how we're going to live. And that's how they do live. So, I mean, it's all about knowing who you are, embracing that, and then trying to shore up weaknesses after the fact. And it's all based yeah, on like, analytics. <laughs> it's like what Alex was saying, like, just because a pitcher pitches for the Twins and he gets 15 wins – because they scored, you know, like there's a run supports a stat that didn't get you get right. looked at before either, right? Right. And so, like, okay, he gets nine runs every time he starts, but his, his ERA is five and a half. Mm-hmm. You know? so like, this, that doesn't make him a better pitcher. No. Like, right. it doesn't make UConn a better offensive team just because they got the ball back. Right. Like, the offensive rebound does not translate to, ooh, now we're better at offense. <laughs> yeah, right? Correct. Like, the win does not translate to, I'm a better pitcher now. It's like, no, you're still a bad offense. You still have a 5-5 ERA. Nothing <laughs> changed here. Yeah. It's just a bad stat. Right. But it's it's like, and, and then you could tell when, like, baseball changed when they gave DeGrom a Cy Young, even though he was, like, what, 3 of three and 12 on the year? Because yeah. the Mets couldn't fucking score a run. To yeah. was he was losing like one, nothing two one, like constantly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> He'd hand off the bullpen and two, nothing lead. And they'd give up three immediately. Like, yeah, that is the best pitcher in the game. Just, they have the worst offense to counter with. It, it. started with Granky though. Right. Because in Granky's mm-hmm. first Cy Young year, he had like nine wins and that was so like 2.16 ERA or something like yeah, that. He yeah. was just unbelievably good, but he was like nine and seven because Kansas city was awful. Right. And so, but that was a huge deal. Because they're like, oh, he doesn't even have 10 wins. It's like, oh, he's still the best pitcher in baseball, you dummies. <laughs> exactly. And so I think college basketball needs to come have that come, come to Jesus moment. And I think it's on basketball writers in order to just completely, like, make a fool out of any color commentator, any play-by-play guy who mentions rebounding margin. Mm-hmm. I think because baseball writers are so good at that. And they just bullied their way into making sure that no one talked about pitcher wins or batting average ever again. Well, I just think a lot of it's like, in terms of the writers who cover it, it's like they basically write, there's like a rule. You have to write like your, like your reader is an idiot. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, there's they like, do. That's what I mean. So like, that's why when you read about basketball or any sport, really, you're like, 
this is playing to an audience that you're you're supposed to pretend that they don't know anything and that the first this is like their first entry into sports and they're reading it for the first time i feel like it comes from a place where it used to be like this person is just going to generally peruse the newspaper and mm-hmm. be like, oh, I wonder what happened in this game. Yeah. Whereas like, wow, it's like if they're reading a story about this game or this sport, it's because they went out and found it. It's because <laughs> they want to read about it. Not right. because they're just some like general parishioner of the news. It's because they're a hoop head or whatever mm-hmm. and are just like, I want to know the nitty gritty. And then they read something and they're like, I know what the final score was, you jackass. <laughs> right, but it's like maybe if we elevate, if we just continue to elevate this conversation, we can turn like Creighton into the smartest fan base on earth. Maybe. Well, okay. So you look at Ken yeah, Palm. Ken Palm has, yeah. Popularity standings with each school, right? Like you can go on to Ken Palm and you can see like what percent, like fan bases who subscribe to Ken Palm. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, and I think Creighton's like fifty fifth. So it's like, I mean, a lot of biggie schools are pretty far up there. I think Marquette's maybe second. UConn might be first. Dude, Marquette Twitter is hella smart at analytics. Like, <laughs> they, have just a, they have just an army of, like, intelligent basketball people. I love Marquette Twitter. Right, but it's like, it's because they, like, look at that kind of stuff. And I think a lot of the college basketball community, they subscribe to Ken Palm or they know a little bit more about the analytics of basketball. Most of like power five six whatever what's, what's nebraska ball's rating on the ken palm i don't think there's a single one that's would subscribe to it. holy shit how depressing <laughs> would that be to be a basketball fan and log on to ken palm at any particular time hey nebraska, you know, did, nebraska did get a mention on the broadcast today for failing to secure adamus Sonogo. so like Sonogo. yeah good for them i guess like they got I like they, it we, I got, like, we got the fred we got the fred hoiberg nebraska reference in so yeah. i like kugler tossing that out there you know we almost played yeah. basketball here in nebraska hoiberg <laughs> couldn't close the deal nebraska, <laughs> nebraska almost had a good player for once but they didn't as soon as anyone with a pulse offered him a scholarship it's like, oh man, I gotta go all the way to Lincoln, Nebraska to play basketball. Then UConn's like, no, not if you don't want to. <gasps> UConn just sent him the booty call text. You up? <laughs> you up? <laughs> and he's like, I'm on my way. Yo, he's say like, less. I don't want to play for Willard either. <laughs> say less. I'm there. Where do I sign? Whoa, whoa, whoa not yet. Where do we? You know, you want to visit or anything? No, I'm good. <laughs> I've heard of you. We're all right. Yeah, I've only talked to Hoiberg and Willard so far, so please, God. Yeah. You guys are back in the Big East, right? I heard that, yeah? Like, yeah, we, yeah. Okay, you're good. I'm, I'm ready. Hard commit. I'm not saying the AAC is a deal breaker. I'm just checking. <laughs> yeah, I'm just – yeah, right. I'm just, like, asking. I'm putting it out there. I can, I can play against Wichita State. That's fine. It's whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Um, speaking of UConn, I guess, like, you know, no James Booknight, but, you know, Tyler Pauly was playing pretty well in his absence – um, Creighton holds him to 0 for 4 in 17 minutes. Um, RJ Cole, he got going a little bit in that, that 15 to 6 run that UConn used to cut it to one at halftime. But, you know, nine of those points came there in that six minute, seven minute stretch, right? Was it six minutes, I think? Um, he only scored 14 the rest of the, I mean, only scored five the rest of the game. So I thought, I thought Creighton did a good job of stopping, um, the two main scoring options for UConn. Marcus, Marcus Zagorowski was on Cole most of the game, good majority of it. And I thought he played really well defensively, maybe even one of his best games of his career defensively. 
Um, good. I mean, and uh, I'm not sure who checked Polly. I think a combination of um, Damian Jefferson and Denzel Mahoney, but I thought they did a pretty good job of, you know, just killing enough of his rhythm on catches and whatnot to, you know, to force some, I mean, he had some ugly misses in that game. So it wasn't like he was getting bad luck or anything like that. Um, but I thought shutting those guys down or limiting them, I think, what is it? 14 points total on 14 shots. Yeah. So, and six of that came at the free throw line from Cole. So that's pretty, that's a pretty good job in terms of stopping UConn's main options offensively and giving yourself a chance to, get someone going on your end enough to win the game. Yeah, I thought, I mean, I thought defensively they did a lot better job, obviously, than they did the first time. Obviously, none of these guys are book night. But honestly, the guy I was concerned about, and he got into foul trouble, so I'm kind of glad. But I was more concerned about Sonogo after what we saw um, with Nate Watson and Providence. I had some real concerns about, you know, and we saw what Bishop got into foul trouble. I don't think Kalkbrenner got into foul trouble, but you know, with the foul trouble they'd gotten in against Providence with um, with Watson, I was concerned that Sonogo was going to give them, you know, a career day as well. And uh, luckily, he got into some foul trouble also. But I mean, he was five and nine for thirteen points. Like, if he doesn't get in foul trouble, it could have gotten it could have gotten ugly. Which that's part of what Creighton does, right? Is they that's part of how they defend traditional bigs that are mismatches for them is they put them in really awful situations on the defensive end mm-hmm. so that they do get in foul trouble. We saw it last year with uh, Romero Gill and to a lesser extent, Mamakalashvili for Seton Hall. They put them in just untenable positions on the defensive end so that either they're exhausted on offense and aren't as effective or they get in so much foul trouble, you have to take them out of the game. And so I don't want to take. I don't want to say the the foul trouble for Sonogo was just luck or whatever because that's part of what Creighton does. But they are a little lucky that he wasn't able to stay out of foul trouble because I think he would have given them a lot more problems than anybody else left on the roster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I thought you know the attention to Whaley was particularly Im- impressive um, on Creighton's defensive end, um, and and I mean Whaley hit a couple of just uncharacteristic threes for him i'm not counting the last one in his percent <laughs> i get it goes on the scoreboard but i'm not counting him as shooting 50 percent from three on the day he was one of four with three miscellaneous points <laughs> three <laughs> miscellaneous that is that is the most broke ass shot i've ever seen go in that was uncontested and not banked yeah That's it was, it was he missed wide right and long and somehow the axis of the earth changed at just the right moment. So it like reverse spinned and into the hoop. It was one of the most broke jumpers I've ever seen go in. You know, what's funny about like watching that type of stuff is I don't know how big like the IG uh, highlights were uh, back in the, back when it happened, but can you imagine like Chris Dunn's game winner against Creighton that banked oh. off the hard off the iron? Like yeah, but at least that, that thing sat there. But that was like, straight on. Yeah, and it's like, and everybody wants to hype up the highlight. It's like, oh, you tough man! Like, oh man, look at this buzzer beater by Chris Dunn. It's like that is junk. That thing is <laughs> garbage. Like, but at least I'll give Chris Dunn the benefit of the doubt. At least it was online, right? Sure. It's this Whaley three was the exact same amount of missed off the back iron into the wedge but also like a foot to the right. Yeah. 
and somehow caught the rim just right to put, put like a reverse spin on it and go into the hoop. Dude, how much of a dead ball do you have to shoot to, for it like, to sit on the base of the rim? I wish we could. It just like it. clunked there and then rolled in the hoop. Like how <laughs> it's supposed to have some bounce to it. You know what I'm saying? Like how, what kind of rotation are you putting in that ball where it like gets there and it's like, poof, and it just like sits so, there. Like it's like so a Texas it, twister rotation. Right? Yeah. Guys that like do it, do it like that. I mean, even when the ball hits the floor, it like bounces up. You know what I mean? <laughs> that thing just like went clunk. Uh, I dribble the basketball on carpet with more bounce than the jump shot. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. It's like, good lord, what was that? How is that even physically possible? Uh, yeah, hilarious. On, on Creighton's side of it, though, like you know, Denzel had a good Denzel Mahoney had a good bounce back game. Uh, Twenty points, eight of fourteen. I thought he was really good at, you know, being smart with his shot selection. Like sometimes he would have catch and shoot opportunities. Sometimes he would use the shot fake and get off the dribble when he was being chased off the line. And he was good at kind of finding spots to to score in the intermediate range or get all the way to the hoop. Um, so that was that was good to see because that Providence game, you know, when you have a couple of those performances because they played Providence twice now, that can shake your confidence a little bit if you don't get a good game going in the next one. So I thought it was really important for him to bounce back and do it in an efficient manner. Uh, he had no turnovers in 35 minutes too, so that's 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 even better. Um, I thought he thought that was really encouraging. I thought he had a good job on his shot selection. The one thing that I didn't love is he is kind of he is kind of dribbling the air out of the ball a lot lately. Yeah, um, it sticks on him. Earlier in the season, it seemed like he was either getting a shot or getting into a move or getting the ball back out, like making a quick decision on what to do with the ball. It seems like he's kind of probing a little more now and trying to find stuff, which I understand in certain situations, but I don't totally love. I think it kind of, it grinds Creighton's offense to a halt a little bit. And I get in some of these lower scoring rock fight games that you do have to do that to a certain extent. Um, I think he is going to it a little bit too much right now. It reminds me, a little bit of right when he became eligible, I felt like he was dri- over dribbling a little bit um, before he kind of got into the groove of things in conference play and towards the end of the season. Um, it feels like with the absence of Tyshawn Alexander, he's fallen into some of those habits um, with over dribbling as kind of the second playmaker. And I know at least a couple times I saw where Kalkbrenner came and set a pick on that on the PNR. And he had Kalkbrenner for like a hot minute and didn't get it to him because he was over dribbling. And that was kind of frustrating, but you know, you'll take it when he shoots the ball like this, when he shoots the ball, like he did against Providence, it becomes a bigger problem. Um, if he's over dribbling and he shoots eight of 14, obviously that's fine, but he has to shoot eight of 14 if he's going to dribble that much. Yeah, well, He's got to be shooting like, 85% when he gets those mid-range elbow shots, right? Because it seems like every time he shoots one of those, they go in. It's high. It's super high. I mean, like, that's his sweet spot. He, he seems way mm-hmm. more comfortable, and his jumper looks way more natural from there than it does from three. Um, it looks like a very smooth, natural jump shot. Um, again, not to say that his three-point shot is bad. It just looks like he's extending himself a little bit, whereas that elbow jumper, when he gets that one-two into the elbow, he looks super-duper comfortable. Yep. 
So I was impressed with that. And honestly, when when they came up with it, it was like the hardest working player of the game. And I didn't have staff broadcast up because I was streaming the game. So I was like, you know, a full minute behind. Um, but I was like, holy shit, he's got 17 points. I couldn't believe it. And, you know, it kind of reminded me of the Nick Funk days where Funk would pour in like 24 and you'd be like, how? Like I didn't realize he scored. So there were really quiet points that overall, I mean, obviously added to the final score, but it just didn't seem like he was that dominant. And I appreciated that out of him. You know, he wasn't very flashy. He just did his job. And I thought he did it really well. Um, he's still cold from three, which is, you know, that's, that's fine. He'll shoot out of a slump. But th- this is something that um, I talked to my dad about after the game. But, you know, I, w- I was frustrated after the game ended. And he's like, well, it's their typical – it's Creighton's typical January slump. And I, I wondered if you guys thought about that at all or if you want to give any credence to that, because they typically do slump at the, from the midpoint to the end of January. And it's kind of been, I don't know, I was Ken Pondit, but it seems like they don't do particularly well in like mid to late January. I don't know if that's actually a thing or what. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think it jives maybe with results, but I don't know. Cause I don't, <clears throat> I don't know if all, all the, like all the losses or the wins are created equal. So it's hard to say that it's a typical thing. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't think there's anything I, I, from watching it year to year, I don't see any difference in their preparation in January versus February, March, December. So it's hard for me to correlate uh, something that happens in January that I don't know I, if I don't have any good feel for what causes it, I guess. Well, and there was, I mean, if you go back two years, which uh, is the last time they lost more than two games in a row, then when they had two different four-game losing streaks, one of them was in February, but one of them was about this time of year. But that was when Zagorowski missed three out of those four losses with a wrist injury, right? So it's like, that's an outlier to me because that's not like a systemic thing or a, uh, or whatever. It just is, um, it just is, hey, we had an injury to our one of our best players. That's going to be a problem. Um, I, if I had to guess anything, it would probably be, if it is true, like a scheduling thing. Um, because I think around January is where you play a few of these games where Creighton isn't super comfortable. They play at Hinkle. Seems like that's in January every year, and that's an L every year. Um, they play Providence sometimes within the course of a couple of weeks in January. And I don't remember the last, I mean, they basically split that every year. Right. And then, you know, you get, you toss UConn in there. That's another rock fight. You toss Xavier in there. That's another rock fight. I think it's more stylistically by the time you get to January, you get a stretch of games kind of inevitably of four out of five games where you're playing teams that you really don't enjoy playing their style or, something like that. That would make sense to me. Um, I don't like Matt's. I don't think it's a preparation issue or like a voodoo issue. I think it's just like, Hey, there's a lot of teams in the big East that play styles that Creighton doesn't love. And seemingly in January, they get at, they catch three or four of them over the course of a couple of weeks. I don't know if you guys are watching this right now, but <clears throat> we do have like a running joke where like Villanova does some, <laughs> does some things to help them sustain their dominance. <laughs> so right now they're down three at halftime. And I don't know if it's like a sunlight through a window thing, or if there's like a 
spotlight that got loose and it's like hanging from an awkward spot, but it is shining just like a laser beam of just a laser beam into the retina. It looks like sunlight. Yeah, it's coming through a window. Okay. So it's sunlight coming through and it's shining like on the right wing of where Providence will be shooting the rest of the game, basically. <laughs> they're essentially blinded. They're essentially blinded on that side of the court for the whole second half. Basically. Of a little Hinkle magic in there. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. This is where we should host the final four. <laughs> oh, wait, are they doing that? Oh, yeah, I forgot they are. Yes, these dudes are about to go up with ladders and figure this out somehow. I don't know how they're going. I don't think that ladder's tall enough, bro. Yeah, definitely not. That thing's like at the very top. Does that have an extender or? No, I don't want to get a studio. Go back to those guys. I want to see how this happens. Because <laughs> uh. we all remember when Butler had those leaks and they had to like send somebody up on the catwalk and like put the put the uh, buckets, like hang the buckets from the catwalk to catch the water. It's like great old. I say going up into a stadium catwalk is on my list of never, ever do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it seems terrifying. I don't like heights. But like sometimes, sometimes I'll just look up there every like just, you know, I'm looking up at the scoreboard or whatever, and then I'll catch somebody like walking up there. And like I get anxiety watching somebody else up there. Right. I'm on the ground like I and I'm and I'm fat, too. So like I'll, there's easy. It's easier for me to lose my balance and I'll fall much faster and hit much harder. So like <laughs> I'm not a fan. <laughs> I mean, I think you would technically fall at the same rate, but it might feel what, fat. Would I fall at the same rate? Yeah, everything. I wouldn't right. land at the same at the same force though. You would have I? more impact because it's yeah. like uh, at that landing, but you would actually you would fall at the same rate. Okay, but the landing would hurt much worse than a normal person because I would land harder, right? Well, I mean, there's a pain tolerance thing there, but you would land with more impact. Okay, so I don't have great pain tolerance. So I mean, so yeah, it would be bad for you. It would be, <laughs> it would be bad for everybody. I think it would be worse for me, is what I'm saying. Right. Well, again, that's like an, a, that's a subjective measurement. I, I mean, isn't say, it like jumping in a pool and like creating like the cannonball thing? Like, don't you create Yeah, again, you would land with more impact, but you right. would fall. Not, well, the impact, effe- the impact affects me. So it does. But right. like, if you, like, if Alex fell off, like that's all bone hitting the floor. So I don't know how that goes. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'll just be in a wheelchair. Like there's no, there's nothing to cushion his organs. Yeah, no. Matt, Matt Norlander just said the game is delayed because the lights won't come on. That's definitely not the reason the game is delayed. No, it's not the reason at all. There is legitimate sunlight, like Superman. Open window Yeah, at the top of the stadium. Like super, someone's shining like high beams through that mother, and it's like blinding people. <laughs> God's laser pointer. It should just wait like half an hour and the sun will move. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> just give it 10 minutes. It'll rotate. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a hole, right? Yeah. That's- a window it'll be gone in a second and if it doesn't then we got and if it doesn't move then we got bigger problems so yeah if the world will stop spinning then we've got other issues <laughs> right let's buy just you know, you're buying a rod and hang a curtain that's all you gotta do <laughs> i mean how tough can that be it's two brackets toss that thing up there block that sunlight this is where alex's maintenance uh, te- uh okay, the only person who's worked on a maintenance crew here for uh, a <laughs> sporting team i'm deferring to your expertise here I love though. I love though that Jay Wright like argued with the refs about it. He actually like argued like, "What the hell? There's not. I don't see anything." Like, and then they, the Providence <laughs> players, like everyone on the roster, literally like waved him over, and they the refs like Brian O'Connell literally escorted Jay Wright to where the Providence players were and had him stand like where they'd be shooting all day, basically. 
And it was like he almost died. He's still struggling off. He was like, I don't know. It looks fine. Yeah, he's like, I don't see. I don't see a problem. What the hell? Fuck. Like, no, just, yeah. just go like this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what if we just wear these masks over our eyeballs and then like we're good, right? Like then you guys can I mean, shoot. Like, find it. Stuff, right? Why don't you just put some sunglasses put on? Put some sunglasses. Or, <laughs> you know, you can wear like a ball cap. That's how out. I mean, you guys play outside in the park. The sun shines everywhere. You're looking there. Like, what's the problem here? It's like, I'll gosh. just go over the Providence baseball team, get some ball caps. Oh, Providence ball. doesn't have a baseball team, Robbie. That's why it was funny. It was a oh. joke. <laughs> I was gonna say, I was like, I was like, this is our, this is Alex and last time to shine. Let's go. Oh, that was the joke. Was that they don't He's... have team. <laughs> we could, Alex and I were like, well, actually, yeah, right. <laughs> I don't have a baseball team. <laughs> okay, here really? okay. these, genius, these geniuses oh. are out the window now. I'm just gonna can we, let's let's before we get into questions, let's just do play by play. It looks like he has some blue tape. Some blue like mask. It, it is. It is legitimately a curtain. Are they He's hanging up the curtains? Is that what they're gonna do? Stop going away from the God. I want to watch the maintenance. They keep cutting to highlights. He's trying to put it up with electrical tape, which that's not gonna hold. Curtains are. No, <laughs> no it's not. Is it electrical I mean, tape? I thought it was masking tape. It was like a blue blue masking tape. Basically, is electrical tape. Oh, no, that, that's oh, no, painter's tape. It's painter's tape. My bad. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Electrical tape is stretchy stuff. Fuck oh, no, that's not gonna hold. No, not at all. Game is not going to hold the curtain. It comes, it comes there, down during a game. If it comes down during the game winning three, it's like what the. F- <laughs> oh my that's god! For the Chris Dunn, that's for the Chris Dunn foot of the foot of the rim one right there. Yeah, but that would hurt Creighton again because he beat Creighton with that, and then he'd be losing to Villanova with that, which would hurt Creighton. Way is just to hurt Creighton. Oh, that's why Providence. Why. Okay, I got you. That's why they exist. That is their sole existence is to hurt Creighton. Hmm. Interesting. Like, there's got to be a J.C. Penney's. Or a target close to where the Dunkin' Donuts center is, right? No, they're in Villanova. They're at Villanova. Oh, they're at the Palestra? Or not at the Palestra? No, they're at the Pavilion. Pavilion. At the oh, Pavilion. Yeah. yeah, they don't play at the Palestra. Um, they're way out there. <clears throat> well, I don't know why you design an arena that can – I mean, why would you play it? Like, don't you – haven't you known that this the sun can shine through the window at this time? Like, what? Well, here's what I'm guessing. I actually have a little bit of an expertise in this area. Oh, please. So back when I was coaching at Grace University – there were automatic shades that got installed that were like electrically controlled because at certain times of the day, the light would come in just at the right angle and hit the basketball court and it was blinding, right? Um, And at one point during a game, one of the electrical shades broke. And so it wouldn't go down. It was supposed to go down at a certain time every day and it wouldn't go down. And so there was an issue. So maybe... It is a electrical shade issue here where the mechanism's not working on that particular uh, deal. Just to well, complete this, have- just to complete this story, can you tell us what happened to Grace University eventually? Uh, R.I.P. Pour one out. They died. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Villanova! You're not turning in the right territory here. Let's I go. Next stop to coach college basketball in Nebraska Christian College. Also, <laughs> where's where's Jay Wright <laughs> headed after Villanova folds because they can't get. Uh, electrical He's, shades to work. The shade, yeah, yeah. So, All right, well, let's I stop coaching college yeah. basketball. I don't want to be responsible for the closure of any more than two schools. I can only handle two. Let's uh, let's jump into questions before. Well, well since they're not going to show us the play-by-play of this maintenance crew, let's Which ask. A question. Let's get a question in before they at least come back to it, and then we can get back into play-by-play. Um, Robbie, this is from our guy Andy Cutler. 
he wants to know what shoes you're rocking today and what your thoughts are on the Carmine sixes. Will you be scooping? Well, I'm there? rocking the uh, Jordan three tinkers. Okay. okay. Um, I'm probably not going to get the Carmine sixes. I'm not a huge fan of the silhouette of the six in general. I really like one, three, four, five, and then six and seven. I'm kind of meh. And then I kind of pick back up at eight. Um, but so probably not going to get, I like the colorway with the white and the red, but I'm probably not going to get the sixes. It's too much money for a shoe that I'm not in love with. Gotcha. Can you show us your kicks right now? Uh, yeah. I'll take it off my foot. Yeah. I was going to say, are you flexible like that? So this is the Jordan three. Yep. The original Tinker Hatfield model. Nice. Some 60 pieces have been dropped in that thing. Well, that's a horrible. That's a, okay. So they just put the curtain up, and it's like it's just blowing in the breeze. I'm telling you, that thing's not going to hold. With that the, is not. It's not going to hold, and it's not covering the the sunlight. Wow, that's a horrible. Hour, dude. That's and the best they came up with. That's it. Per hour. They're about to get the game on with that garbage. Look at that horrible thing. Well, I mean, Providence is going to lose by ten now. <laughs> well, they got Gus Johnson and Jim Jackson on this one too. Good thing it's muted. I can only imagine Gus's take during the sunlight. He probably came up with like a catchphrase during the break. <clears throat> um, let's see. If somebody hits a shot, he's gonna be like, "It's a sunshine shimmy." <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's Providence's first possession. Let's see how it goes. I don't see any light, so maybe it did work. But it's still coming through, though. I bet it's going to stop. It's misdirected the light enough that it's not reaching the court. All right, they go left side, pin down. Dunk. Okay, that's good. That'll work. Yeah, just stay on the <laughs> left side of the court there. That'll, that'll be better. Don't shoot any more jumpers. And it looks like Nate Watson's hard to stop in, in general, not just Creighton. Hmm. Oh, it's weird. Although he doesn't huh. only have four points so far. Um, so Brian wants to know, back to questions. Brian wants to know, did Mitch try to do too, did Mitch try to do too much today? <laughs> it seems better as a decoy. Brian asked the best questions. That's a stupid question. It's a very funny question. It's a funny question is what it is. Yeah. It's funny, uh, but it's also – it's funny because it's stupid. Well, well yeah, but it's intentional is what it is. Okay, I don't know who Brian yeah. is. So I don't know. He's a he's a long-time listener of the pod. You know what I mean? Okay, like, yeah. well, Brian, I'm not calling you stupid. If it was ironic, then well done. Yeah, it was um, ironic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I actually I would like to see him. So this is I do have a take on Mitch here. I would like to see him actually be a little more aggressive with the dribble. Because okay. when he does it, he does a pretty good job of getting in the lane and he's got a pretty nice arsenal of little moves to use once he gets there. But he does it like maybe once a game. There's times where Creighton's offense gets stuck. And because people fly out at him so hard, I feel like there's more opportunities there for him especially in a game like today, he's not shooting the ball super well. You know, there's times where the offense gets stuck. They could probably use one more playmaker that can get their own shot. That's all I'm saying. Look, yeah. I look. I, I think he needs to become more involved in the offense no matter what. Um, I think he's doing great as he is. But I love to see Mitch Ballack run. Ballack run. He run? is so fun to watch run because his back is straight up and his <laughs> legs are like out in front of him like that. It's amazing. I, I, Matt, I've told you this before. To, to focus on Mitch while he's running is one of the most unathletic yet most athletic things I've ever seen. 
That's all. That's it. That's what you got. Run. That's all I got. Let Mitch run. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm gonna pivot to seriousness for a second. I thought he was really good. I thought he was really. Do we just keep power play on a sunshine leak? Like, come on. Uh, we have to provide balance. I thought he. I thought his floor game was really good today. I mean, like when you're when you're trying. If Robbie wants him to be more aggressive with the dribble, like I understand that. So you're talking. To, I think what Robbie's trying to say is like get him into that playmaker mode because he's kind of a natural at it, right? So it's not yeah. just. Because he's going to make the right decision once he starts dribbling, right? Yep. He's not going to four shots in the lane if it's not there. If he yeah. sees an opportunity, he'll take it. But he's pretty good, especially with as hard as people fly out on him at the three-point line, at getting at least one, two, three dribbles, getting a piece of the paint, and compromising the defense. I'd like to see a little bit more of that. It seems like he defers to swinging a little too quickly sometimes to try and keep the offense moving. In reality – Sometimes the offense is going to get stuck because the next guy is not going to keep swinging it. And he needs to recognize that, that sometimes he has to be the playmaker, not the hockey assist guy. Yeah. Right. That's, right. He needs to like the, the ball, the play has to end with him essentially like with his, decision. with his decision. Yeah. So it's either a shot or, you know, today when I talk about his floor game being really good, I thought he made a lot of plays that set up guys in easy spots to score. That means either they had to make, you know, one move and go, or they could just catch and shoot. I think there was a quick, uh, quick strike three from Denzel. He was coming off of a quick uh, transition screen initial like action there, and before Denzel was even like before he even had his feet set, the ball was already on the way. So Mitch mm-hmm. saw that in transition. He saw that developing, and he put the ball right where Denzel needed it, right where he was going to stop and catch it, and it was an easy, you know, easy three in transition for the for the Jays. Then he hit Denzel in the corner on a skip pass from the left wing. He hit Damian Jefferson on a skip pass from the right wing that led to a shot fake uh, attack, a bad closeout, and one um, that that they converted at the free throw line. And then there was one in the second half, I remember, where he came off a little dribble handoff action with Kalkbrenner. And as soon as that second defender, like, committed to stopping his his momentum, he flipped it over the top perfectly to Kalkbrenner, right where he could just go up and score. I think he drew a foul on the play. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought, yeah. And then when you look at the shot selection, obviously he was more aggressive in, in taking threes and setting up his own offense too. So yep. that, that complete package of being that playmaker that he can be, uh, that was on display today. And I thought often, I thought defensively he was pretty good too. Like yeah, I was gonna he's, say. Not, he's not going to, he's going to, he ate a couple threes. One that we talked about already that just was the ugliest thing in human. <laughs> you're going to um, let Whaley shoot. Like that's fine. Whatever. Yeah. No, that that yeah. Um, I mean, I but, thought like other than that, his rotations were good. The digs on the ball in the post were really good. His help on the, you know, those those little show double teams and then get out to the shooter on the kickout was really he had good. Had a block inside on the help that got called for a foul. That was nonsense. Yep. yep. No, I thought his. I thought he had a really good complete game today, even though he didn't necessarily fill up the stat sheet. What I'd like there. to see from him is, in the absence of Tyshawn Alexander, Creighton only really has one guy in Marcus Zagorowski that I like having the decision-making roles on the team, right? Last year it was Tyshawn and Marcus, and you still trust Mitch, although he didn't take that role very often. Without Tyshawn, Mitch needs to be that second guy that you trust to make decisions with the ball in his hands. And that's what I mean. He needs to be a little more aggressive with the dribble. 
I don't, what I want him to be aggressive offensively, it's not just taking more shots, right? right? There are times when I'm like, Hey, I need you to shoot more than four times in a game or more than twice in a game. But I also mean he needs to make himself a more integral part of the offense in terms of the decision-making process and where the shot ultimately comes from. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I saw someone on Twitter complaining about Mitch's shot bait. And I don't think he's trying to bait the defender into jumping for the shot. I think it's all a rhythm thing. And I don't know what your guys' take on this is, but when he gives that little shot fake and then he continues to run the offense, I think it's solely to give pause so then the rest of the offense can move. And so the, when the rest of the offense moves, that's when he's able to make a decision whether to pass or whether to shoot. I don't think it's necessarily to bait the defender into like fouling him. I, I think it's more of a gadget that he uses in order to – it's like a, it's like a beat, you know. All he's doing is taking a beat, and then he's continuing on with the offense. It, it, the, the shot fake isn't to draw foul or to draw his defender into aggressing him more. I think it's more or less just for him to take that beat and to see how the offense then creates itself. I don't know what what you guys think of that, but someone was complaining and they're like, "It's ineffective," and I'm like, "It's not supposed to do what you think it's supposed to do." If that makes sense. Well, I don't know if like if that person you're referring to has like watches boxing at all, but you know, in boxing and in MMA, like whatever you like, you set up shots with like feints because you the reason you faint is because you want to see how they react to it. It's not always about throwing the shot, you know what I'm saying? So okay. sometimes you just want to fake like you're throwing the shot just to see how they're gonna react to it. So that's like that's a tell for Mitch out there is when he's reading the game. Part of that is also if he comes in now with Mitch. He's very particular about like getting ball, getting a ball in the shot pocket. If he's not catching in rhythm and his feet aren't set when the ball gets there and it's not in the right spot, he doesn't feel great about getting the shot up. Like he'll probably put that on the deck more times than not. But when he does use the shot fake on things where you think he's catching clean and should have a good look at it, um, he'll he'll shot fake and put that thing on the deck. Sometimes just to like gauge a reaction, like if he knows you're going to bite hard on that shot fake and he can get you in the air um, and he can get by you and create a rotation that would lead to a, a, you know, a wide open corner three after two more passes. Like he is really good at setting up that hockey assist. Um, so that's what that shot fake does. Like just allows him, it's almost like a feint in, in combat sports, like in striking, like you got to set up, sometimes you got to set up your opponent and to do that, you got to show him something and see how, how they react to it. So that's kind of part of it too. Yeah, so to build off of that, basically, I think it's two things. Um, you mentioned the feint. I don't think he's trying to move his defender. I think he's trying to move all of the other defenders. Yes. Right? So he's trying to see – like, that's where those skip passes come in a lot of times. If he takes a shot fake and that hard, that one defender crashes in hard to rebound, all of a sudden the skip pass in the corner is available, right? Mm -hmm. Or he's trying to start the rotation. It's the same thing people do with, with pass fakes, Right. They'll yeah. fake a pass here to try and get the defense to rotate, and then they'll go somewhere else. It's the same. It's the same type of thing there with Mitch. He's trying to get the other four guys to move. I don't even think he necessarily cares if the other if his guy jumps. If he does, he'll take advantage of it. But he's trying to move the rest of the defense. The second thing, kind of what Matt was saying, and obviously Matt has more uh, insight into Mitch's shooting mentality than I do because he's talked to him about it. But it seems like to me, and I don't know if this is accurate or not. It seems like to me he doesn't predetermine if he's going to shot fake or actually shoot it. 
Right. It seems like he starts into the motion to shoot it as if he's going to shoot it every time. And sometimes he aborts, right? Like that's the vibe that I get from him is, Hey, I'm going to get in position, get ready to shoot it. And then if I get to a point where I say, Hey, didn't catch it right. Didn't hit the shot pocket. Right. This guy's closer than I thought he was. Then he aborts rather than shooting it. I don't think it's always like, Hey, I'm a shot fake. I'm a shot fake. I think he's getting ready to shoot and then aborts it. And it looks like a shot fake. Mm -hmm. Um, Edward Wagner wants to know what are your thoughts on the current state of the offense? Well, um, I don't know. I thought they, I thought their pace was good today. I thought they moved it pretty well. I didn't think they dribbled. I didn't think they got dribble happy as much as they maybe did against Butler and Providence. Um, you know, they, I, yeah, they're in a little bit of a shooting slump right now. So that's a little bit concerning, but I also think, you know, in, in the long run, that thing takes care of itself just because of how good they are. So I think you'll see, so I think you'll see an explosive game or an explosive stretch pretty soon. Um, so I don't know. They definitely don't like being upside down in turnovers, but also they didn't have that many turnovers either, which is good. So, yeah, I don't I know. Mean, I, I, you know, you'd like them to be more efficient, but right now they're just not hitting shots. So, yeah, and that's fine. I guess for me, what I would say is I think if they're when they're not shooting the ball as well, which is going to happen sometimes, I think Zegarowski has to be a little bit more intentional about getting his own stuff it's and I get part of it's probably the injury um, maybe he's not 100% comfortable yet coming off the hamstring there's only a second game back I get that but to me there's kind of a responsibility as one of the best players in the league is you have to recognize hey this there's some shots that I can create for people that I'm always going to want them to shoot and then there's some shots that I can create for people that I'm only going to want them to shoot when they're shooting well. Right. And he has a lot of confidence in his teammates, it seems like. And so he usually gives the ball up in the, in each of those situations when they're not shooting the ball. Well, sometimes he has to keep it and do it himself. Um, And I think he's not quite as prepared to do that as I'd like him to be, because there are times when it's like, Hey, you can beat your guy off the dribble. You need to do that. Now. I understand Denzel probably could get this shot off, but I need you to go get the bucket because Denzel's not shooting the ball well right now. Obviously he shot it better today, but say last game against Providence, right? Denzel's not shooting the ball well right now. Marcus, I need you to go do it. Or Mitch is not shooting the ball well right now. We're not really getting the right feel and not taking the shots right now. Marcus, you need to go do it, right? So there's some of those situations where I'd like to see him recognize, hey, I understand in practice this is normally a good shot for us, He's not really feeling it today. I got to go take care of it. That would be my only concern because I agree with you. Eventually, the numbers are going to even out for shooting. We saw it against St. John's and Seton Hall where they had hyper-efficient performances. We've seen it at different points during the season, right, where they don't shoot well. This team's maybe a little streakier shooting than some of the other ones we've seen in the past. Yeah, definitely definitely not as consistent as last year's team. Right, because you don't have as many. I mean, you take Tyshawn, that's a really good shooter you're taking out of the equation, right? Yeah, I think he's in the NBA, I think. Yeah, not bad. (laughs) Uh, Right? And the big reason he's in the NBA is because of his shooting, right? Like, so when you replace him with, like, an Antoine Jones, not a knockdown shooter. Nothing against Antoine Jones, he's not a knockdown shooter. You replace him with 
um, Sharif Mitchell minutes or Alex O'Connell minutes, those guys aren't knockdown shooters, right? So there's, you can't rely on the consistency as much. You kind of have to read it in game. And that's the adjustment I'd like to see Marcus make where he has to say, okay, I have to go get this now because we're not shooting the ball well today. Honestly, I'm, I'm not too worried about the offense. I think the offense ebbs and flows. But yeah, here's the with your Twitter feed, by the way, but go on. Oh, I don't give a shit. I mean, that's just all reactionary. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> who calls it. I was going to say, you're, you're tone setting for a lot of these questions so far, so go on. Um, but, I mean, look, look at the results of this entire season. Creighton hasn't, and knock on wood, Creighton has not got blown out yet. They haven't had a vintage McDermott clunker yet this season. It just hasn't happened. They still almost beat Providence. They still almost beat Butler, even though those both of those games, it felt like the offense was completely offbeat and wasn't anywhere close to what Creighton can be and what they have been. So, I mean, it's like the, the offense will ebb and flow and – I think they're just in a little bit of a slump, and that's okay. Slumps happen. Happens in every sport. Maybe not to Gonzaga. Maybe not to Baylor. But Creighton's not Gonzaga and Baylor. I think the offense will be fine. And Gonzaga. Either, yeah, whatever. I don't give a shit. <laughs> they're so far away. <laughs> but like, so I, we'll see Seton, against Seton Hall. And I think Creighton matches up well against Seton Hall. If they get back into that offensive rhythm they were at two weeks ago – then, I mean, everyone will be like, oh, I, I don't even remember when they were in these offensive lulls they were in. Um, so I, I think people just don't – stop worrying so much, God damn it. I know I'm not. Yeah, that's probably the most hypocritical thing anyone's ever said in this podcast, but moving on. <laughs> Actually, I was like, wait, is Robbie talking right now? What's going on? What saying these words? Um, let's see. Uh, Billy BJ wants to know, is MZ back for real for reals feel like he is getting a step back? Yeah. I mean, we were arguing about it in our text thread, but I was like, I feel like he's having a really good game. I mean, I think he's seeing the floor. Well, I thought he was making plays. He wasn't scoring, but you know, he was guarding RJ Cole, um, and not letting him go off. And then, you know, they're picking him up like, RJ Cole's picking him up at like 70, 75 feet range and staying with him the whole time because RJ Cole is one of the best on ball defenders in the conference. And, you know, they're also throwing two guys at him. One's huge in the ball screen. So, like, he's having to be really patient with his reads and make sure he's, you know, sharp with that. But I don't, you know, didn't turn the ball over at all today. And all that, all that pressure he faced, he didn't turn it over once. Um, and then later on in the second half, like Ravi was asking from, uh, Marcus in times where the offense bogs down a little bit, you know, he got into the teeth of defense. I think he missed a wide open corner three on one, got his own rebound, went around a defender and then shot it over a taller defender and made it. Uh, he did, you know, he missed that layup in transition, but he made it up for it with a tough one um, in traffic over, over, you know, through contact later on. So like, you know, just don't, I think with, with him, it's like, Oh man, he's only one for whatever from the floor. It's like, don't focus on that. Focus on the other stuff. Cause he sets everything up. So, I thought he had his impact in a major way on a lot of a lot of that game there, even before he started scoring a little bit more. So, uh, yeah, it feels like he's getting his his spring back for sure. I think his his bounce and his first step look a lot quicker and crisper. So I think 
um, you know, he's getting that back to some degree. But I also, you know, I thought I thought we've seen some complete games from him, you know, the last few times out. Basically, and it's certainly since coming back from the hamstring injury. Yeah, I mean, I thought he was playing super well um, before the hamstring injury. That the last couple games before that, I thought he looked the best he had coming off of the knee. Um, so I would have said he was back then. Then the hamstring obviously happened. So you did gotta, he turn over against Providence either? I don't think he did. Uh, I don't remember. Um, but I thought today was obviously better than Providence. And like I agree with you, Matt, in the sense that he was yeah, doing. One, so he's had one turnover last seventy four minutes, which is good against Providence wow. and UConn. So, yeah. <laughs> which is talking about good. that's good. Yeah, seems good. <laughs> But it's, it's one of those things where, yes, he was seeing the floor well. He was setting things up well. My only complaint is that sometimes he has to set things up less and do things more. When, when they're not shooting well, that has to be his job because he's the best player on the floor. And I know as like a consummate point guard, that's not always what he necessarily wants to do. But sometimes he has to recognize we're not shooting the ball well right now. I have we still have to score points in the interim until somebody knocks down a jumper. Um, that would be my only complaint. And but that's not a is he back or not. That's just like I need him to shift his mentality just a little bit and recognize that a shot from a guy that's pretty open that isn't shooting the ball well maybe isn't as good of a shot as the shot he can create for himself in that Robbie, specific situation. Robbie, didn't he, he kind of did that down the stretch in the second half. When he hit that three, it kind of felt like a dagger, and then UConn went on that 6-0 run. But, I mean, that was a big shot. I mean, six yeah, minutes, sure. he stepped up and hit it. And then he had that drive to the hoop. I mean, where what did he, he go reverse on it? I can't remember what exactly happened, but it was, I mean, it was a driving layup. And he kind of put the game further out of reach. Yeah, I think it was like an extended out. I don't think he reversed, but I think he kind of, it was like a real extended out. Um, yeah, no, down the stretch, I thought he did a much better job of that. Um, I didn't think he did a good job of that against Providence. Um, and I would have liked to see it more in the first half when, like, okay, Creighton goes up by 10, and then here comes here comes UConn. I need him to put his foot down and go get a bucket to stop that run. You yeah. know, like, do you? he did it in the second half for sure. I thought he did a much better job of that. Well, it's just it all about what you need, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> See, I, th- I think that's more Denzel's role is to be the run stopper because he can hit those those quick mid-range jumpers. He's not as good as Marcus. That's the problem. Well, it's true. It's like true. Marcus is better. So he, Marcus needs to be the guy that does it, <laughs> right? The better guy needs to do it. Right. I, I thought Marcus was locked in from the jump, though. No, I, I think he played really good. well. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I just would like to see a little bit different decision-making because he's like perfect – for last year's Creighton team where they were going to shoot 40% from the floor for, from three, almost every night. He's perfect for that because then he just gets to pick and choose when he does stuff. Right. His mentality is not quite as well suited for this team. That's a really streaky. And sometimes he has to take over. Like I need him to recognize Denzel's not shooting well right now. Mitch is a little hesitant on the trigger right now. Antoine Jones hasn't made a jumper in a month. We have to go right now and get a bucket and I'm the guy that has to do it because everybody else is a little off their game right now. Like, that's all I'm saying. I, that doesn't mean he didn't play well. That doesn't mean that he didn't play 
how you would want him to play most of the time if people are shooting the ball well. But there's times where this Creighton team is not going to shoot as well, and he has to be the one that goes to get the bucket. Honestly, I would prefer Damian take the shot over Denzel in terms of, like, driving to the hoop. Like, I get that Denzel is a better jump shooter, mm-hmm. but if I'm tired, if I'm like, it was like when we saw against UConn, well, that sent it to overtime, or we saw a ton against last game against Providence, there were times where Damian was the only guy getting anything going offensively, right? And I'm pretty comfortable with his straight line drives. He's not going to over dribble. If he doesn't have it, he's going to move the ball out. Like, I'm pretty comfortable with him making that decision for a guy that needs to get us a shot at the rim or some free throws. Now at the free throw line, it's an adventure for everybody, but, (laughs) but still, even with that being said, Marcus needs to do it before Damian does. Like Marcus has, Marcus is the best player on the team. He has to be that guy. Yeah. And I mean, DJ can will them. I mean, he single-handedly, he can will them back into a game. He did it against Providence apparently. So I mean, he, he has that ability to do that, but I think if you're if if you have a lead, if Creighton has a lead and they need a run stopper in order to preserve that lead, I'm going to Denzel every time on that that elbow shot, and you have to take the highest percentage shot that you can get. And sometimes that is Marcus, and it should be Marcus. That's my point, though. Is like, whether yeah, I agree you're about Denzel or Damian, mm-hmm. and I'll hear that conversation because you're right. If he can get to that elbow, you know, he's really high percentage from there. And he can bully guys to the rim. It seems like he doesn't always want to go all the way to the rim, though. Like, whether it's one of those two guys, that's my second option. Right. If I need a bucket to stop a run or if I – like, if I need a bucket, Marcus is my go-to. He's my number one call. And I think he needs to recognize that a little bit more often in certain situations because he will – make the right play sometimes to a fault. I've said this about Mitch before and Mitch does it even more so than Marcus does, but sometimes the right play in a situation isn't what you would call the right basketball play in like a vacuum. Right. Right. And I need Marcus to see that. It's like that, the Butler game when, when Antoine had the ball down in the low block and he passed it off to Christian, even though he had like an 89%, you know, look, pretty much a high percentage look and he gave it to Christian for like 1%, you know, greater. It's like, well, no, dude, just put it in. <laughs> what are you doing? Just take the easiest shot. And I think that they do. It's like paralysis by analysis sometimes with this offense is that they just, they make too many either passes trying to be too unselfish when it's like, no, sometimes you got to put your foot down and you have to be selfish here. And Marcus needs to kind of embody that mentality, especially for the stretch run. Well, as Providence shits the bed here, trying to be too selfish, uh, I just think that's part of like Creighton's DNA. Like they they'll they'll err on the side of unselfishness because they know more times than not that will work itself out over the course of forty. No, but sometimes that is an error. I know, but that's okay. A mistake I've- made in the name of unselfishness over the course of forty minutes most of the time leads to success. Okay, but here's the thing. It's like we were talking about analytics earlier, right? Yeah. There are almost all the time a stolen base is a bad idea, right? Yeah. But sometimes you get lucky and Mariano Rivera walks you and you know you get one hit off of him, not two, right? 
Right. So you have Dave Roberts steal the base because in that situation, you're right, over 162 games or over 40 minutes or whatever. Sorry, I, I didn't, said 40 I minutes. I didn't say no. that. I wasn't doing this. I didn't stutter. I said 40 no, minutes. People who can't see the Zoom right now, Matt is so mad. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not doing this because you're a Yankee fan. Um, I'm really not. But, like, in that situation, Dave Roberts stealing was the right thing to do. Even though the analytics, the money ball tells you don't steal bases – the right thing to do if you're trying to win the game because everybody in the world knows you're not getting two hits off of Mariano. It's not happening, right? You have one shot and you need that guy on second base, right? There's situations like that in a basketball game where it's like, yes, over 40 minutes, more often than not, the unselfish play, even if it's a little too unselfish, is going to work out for the better. But there are specific situations where you have to do the thing that goes against your analytics. You have to take the mid-range jumper or you have to be a little bit more selfish than you normally would be. That's my only point. And oh. Marcus is the guy as the best player on the team that is the one that has to do that. The problem with that is like no one else but Marcus and Mitch would ever shoot the ball if they played that way. I'm not saying you play that way all the time. It's fine. <laughs> Alex is like, yeah, do that. <laughs> Let's have a game where Marcus and Mitch just shoot every possession and see what happens. Mitch has already done that against DePaul. <laughs> and look what happened. <laughs> They won. Yeah, but it was a close. It was like thirteen points. They didn't, they didn't win that bad. They beat them worse the year after that. That's all I'm yeah. saying. I understand your point. Yeah, and I'm not saying they should change their style of play. But you I'm are though. Individual situations where you need to deviate from your norm. Okay, let's deviate to the next question. Um, <laughs> <Bert's fight. laughs> Sorry, I brought up the Dave Roberts thing. It was the only example I could think of. I'm more mad that you brought up Mariano Rivera because I don't want to talk about him either. Um, <laughs> Birds, Birds by Design wants to know, what do you think of Antoine's performance? Will What will be his role with the team next year? I don't know. I feel I, it's tough to analyze Antoine right now because it's like he – it's just – he doesn't look comfortable out there. And I don't think he's playing a prominent role where he needs to be – a key cock, you know what I'm saying? So I just think we just got to evaluate. There needs to be a bigger picture to evaluate before I really feel like what I feel confident in what I think of his game so far. I mean, I think he's a really good playmaker. Um, I think he gets the ball in the right spots. I think he's an accurate passer. So he puts it in the shooting pocket more times than not. I think he sees the floor really well. Um, I think he's really good at getting to the rim and, you know, either using his physicality to finish or draw fouls. Uh, you know, there's obviously issues defensively because he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, his positioning isn't great. He doesn't see the floor all that well. He doesn't read the the action great. Like he makes mistakes on the end of the floor. So you have to, he has to, it's almost like he's trying to get what he gives essentially in order for it to be a quality uh, run of, you know, a quality stretch of time on the floor. But so I don't know. There's, there's, there's stuff, there's, there's more to fill there in terms of what we need to see from him before we can say what he is as a player at Creighton. Yeah. Like it's just not, the sample size isn't big enough. Um, we don't know what type of interruptions they've dealt with, with practice and his development and things like that. So there's just a lot of unknowns right now to feel confident in saying what type of player he is going to be um, on next year's team going forward. Plus, because we don't know who's coming back yet. Like, they can all come back. Like, so that's part of it, too. So, I don't know. That's a tough question to answer. I mean, what I would say is 
he's kind of in an unfortunate situation this year in that a lot of guys do the things that he does just a little bit better, right? Like Denzel Mahoney and Damian Jefferson are just a little bit better at getting to the rim and using their size and kind of bullying people when they need that from a, from a wing. Um, Mitch Ballack is just a little bit better at seeing the floor and making passes and that type of thing when they need that from a wing. All of them are better defenders right now. Um, so it's not that I don't think Antoine Jones can still be a very productive player next year. It's that right now there's at least three guys that do the things he does just a little bit better. And to your point, it depends on who comes back. Technically, everyone could. I don't think that's going to happen, right? But technically speaking, everyone could come back. Right. In which case, Antoine Jones would have the same non-role that he has right now. Like right now, he's basically just the, hey, DJ needs a break. Denzel needs a break. Mitch needs a break. That's all he is right now is he's the minutes filler when the other guys need a break. Mm -hmm. If they all come back, that's the same role that he's going to have next year. If they don't, he probably takes on a much more prominent role one that at least offensively he probably is ready for and defensively you hope he catches up. But until you know who's coming back, you can't say with any sort of certainty what his role is going to be next year. Alex, yeah. He has to take somebody's spot, right? It's not like if Denzel right. comes back, Denzel keeps his spot. Robbie, Marcus, Alex, eat a little bit. Sorry. He's good. He's good. I don't listen to Robbie. I know, but he was reiterating then. So it's like, we got to let, let Alex have a turn at the bowl. No, but Matt, I, I agree with you. Matt, I agree with you. I mean, there are a lot of good flashes that you can see with, with basketball Jones's game. I mean, he he does he makes extra passes well. He plays an unselfish style of basketball defensively. And we got to see a little bit more from him. And I think that comes with maturity, that comes with the more minutes that he plays. And it is too I Matt, I agree. It is too small of a sample size to to properly judge like how his game is. We know that he's got the size, he's got probably the strength in order to last in a Big East season. But, I mean, we got to see a lot more minutes from him. And it'd just be interesting to see, like, both Denzel and DJ get into foul trouble where he then has to get thrown into the Wolves and has to play meaningful minutes. Yeah, that would not I don't, be interesting. I don't want to see that. I disagree that. completely with that. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to see that. But I'm just saying it would be interesting to see. Uh, him play – like, if they get a – by 40 against Seton Hall with nine minutes left again, you know, then let him play the rest of the half and see what he can do. You know, that would, those would be meaningful minutes. The minutes that he's playing right now is simply to, to alleviate um, Denzel and, and uh, uh, Damien. So I think, I think that's where he's at, but he, he's got to have a little bit more time on the court in game scenarios for him to grow more and to learn more because he makes some simple mistakes that he can clean up and he can see the entire basketball court just a little bit better with a little bit more experience. Somehow you managed to make a really great point with absolutely horrendous support of it. Like, I don't know how that worked, but <laughs> that was like, it was like everything he's saying on the surface sounds really good. And then when he breaks it down, it's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> um josh tweederson what a horrible name by the way good lord um wants to know what's the first thing you'll all do um once most of the country has gotten the sweet sweet vaccine robbie and i actually had this conversation on creating athletics hour so boo on josh for not listening to his own programming but um, oh, Jerry. 
Joshua. Yeah, seriously. That's let's radio gold when we get together. What's Al- so I guess Alice, you can go first. What's the first thing you're gonna do when you get the the double dosage? Um probably dig a hole, I guess. I don't know. I mean that sounds productive, right? What kind of a hole? Where? Why? Backyard. Um maybe why? four feet deep. See what's down there. It could be treasure. I don't know. So you're just gonna dig a hole. You're gonna dig up your backyard that you did that you spent all summer remate remodeling. Yeah. No, you're not. You liar. What do you? <laughs> no, I'll probably. If, if there is, if I went to your house right now and dug a hole in your yard, you'd shoot me. Stop it. Frida does it every day, so it's like. And you hate it. when she does it. Like, what are you talking? Well, about? <laughs> That's why you hate? Uh, no, I mean, if I'm being serious, I'd probably travel. I'd go somewhere. Okay, where would you go? Um, probably Portland. Go see Portland again. Really? That's where you Portland right now? That's where you want to go? Dude, it's awesome. That place needs <laughs> to figure itself out for a second. Like I think it's in a it's in a holdover pattern, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I think I've talked to you about this before. Like Portland's literally been in protest yeah. for the last 40 years of its of its existence. Right. Like it's constantly protesting something. It doesn't yes. matter what it is, it's just protesting. But you want to go back there. Like that's like, why don't you just stick your head in an oven? No, I'm, I mean, I could do that. I, <laughs> I could do that while I'm in Portland. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's true. No, they got good food there. I mean, it's a Do they? Nice Is it, are they known for their cuisine in Portland, Oregon? Uh, they're known for their uh, food trucks. Oh, okay, nice. I like this cuisine. Truck. Yeah, I mean, they have an entire parking lot just full of food trucks that you can go to and have six different types of fare. And then there's another stretch of road in downtown where they have about 20 food trucks and you can get whatever you want there, so... Are we yeah, supposed to get one inch of snow? Because, good Lord, are you guys looking at this? It's nothing here. It's not pretty good. It's supposed to get one inch. I'm pretty sure that's all in the sky right now, falling down. Um, <laughs> some dang meteorologists. Uh, <laughs> that's along the So you want to go to like a German-fested food place, basically, is what you boiled that down to, which is where Ravi and I landed on when we talked about this when he brought it up on the Athletics Hour. So, like, we, we said – like a Chinese buffet, just because we wanted yeah. to really test the limits of this yeah. this vaccine. Because <laughs> you can't you can't get in a more German infested like public arena than a than a Chinese buffet. So yeah, yeah. Um, should we come up with a different answer for the podcast, or should we stick with that one for consistency? Yeah, I mean, I had another one. Um, I'm really, I really want to go. Uh, there's a cigar bar that I really like that I haven't okay. been to since the uh, thing. And Wait, the thing he goes. <laughs> yeah. um, the which thing. Cigar bar? Uh, I like going to Copacabana. Mm-hmm. Um, they have really comfy chairs, which I appreciate. Like, there's a Havana Garage downtown, which is not bad, um, but it, it's mostly like booth and seating, and it's not as comfortable. At Copacabana, they have like the lounge chairs, like the fancy leather lounge chairs. You can just sit there and smoke and have a good time and have your drinks and whatever. Um, so I miss that. Um, I miss just going out to eat like a normal person a lot. I love going out to eat. Um, so that's a bummer. And then eventually I have to take my wife on a honeymoon. So that's probably on the list also. But where are you guys going? I don't know. We haven't really decided yet. We've we've thought about like tropical um we thought about maybe doing just like a Miami trip might be kind of fun. 
we've thought about doing like a Boston thing, just doing like a whole, she's, she's really into like American revolution history and stuff like that. So maybe doing a tour of the, all the sites around Boston and I'd convince her to let me go to like, to go to Fenway and whatever. So got a couple different options, but um, yeah, at some point we have to go on a honeymoon. Two questions left as uh, Villanova puts Providence out of its misery. What's I that? told you they were going to win by 10 after the window gate. Yeah, you did. It might be, Man, more, than, it might, it might, it might be more than that, though. Yeah, yeah, you didn't answer, Ma. Do you have any answer besides China Buffet? Oh, yeah, my bad. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, you know what? I just can't help it. I want to go back to New York and just, like, walk around and, like, you know, walk in a pizza shop, order a slice, walk around and just listen to people cuss at each other and honk at each other. Like, I just miss that vibe, so. And you want to piss on cardboard boxes out on curb? Yeah, exactly. I want I want the full New York experience, New York City experience, just like rude, gross, uh, violent. I just I want it all. So like I I miss I miss that jarring experience like every spring where you just go out there and it's like you go to your hotel room and it's like beep beep honk honk fuck you all that like it's just like it's nonstop. And it's just it's just the greatest experience because it's like walking into a movie and you're like, man, this thing, there aren't enough stereotypes to like accurately describe New York because it's literally just like your eyes are just like, wow, this place is real. <laughs> yeah, that's a nightmare. It's amazing, though. I mean, it's, I, I agree. It'd be like tough to live there because you become one of those people only to survive. But like if you're if you know you're there for a week, week and a half, you're just like, man, these people are amazing. They just like. You know they just hate each other because they have to exist with each other every day. But then with like push comes to shove, they like got each other's backs and stuff. So it's just kind of cool how they all kind of play off each other with, you know, while hating each other on a daily basis. I love it. Because there's no more authentic place in the world. Um, let's see. Oh, we got two more questions here. So at uh, 402 Puck wants to know um, – is the Big East contracting MVC officials, and how many beers will Alex drink tonight? Thank you. Appreciate the uh, polite question there. Um, are they yeah. contracting Big East officials or MVC officials? No, these are just all Big East, baby. Horrible. They're just all really bad. Yep. The Missouri Valley does not have a monopoly on shitty officiating. <laughs> they do not. <laughs> I wish they did. <laughs> How many beers, Alex? That's what he wants to know. Unless he wanted, to, unless he was asking about Alex O'Connell. I don't know. No, he was asking about me. No, because I, I asked him if he wanted to go out. That's my buddy Jared. You guys have met Jared before. Maybe he, said he went anonymous on Twitter because he's a little bitch and he talks too much shit. <laughs> so he like took his picture off, and, like changed his ad. I, I'm sorry for doxing you, bud, but you know. So he's a coward, basically, is what you're saying. He talk more shit on Twitter than I do. Oh, way more. Okay. Really? Yeah, well, okay. he he goes after like like political people. Um, probably since death threats, don't know for sure. Oh. But I'm not to follow. I don't do death threats. I just call I just call people <laughs> yeah. I just threaten them well, I threaten them intellectually. That's all I threaten them. No, that's a good idea. Always threaten people. In some manner. <laughs> just always threaten people. <laughs> <laughs> Full stop. That's the tweet. Full stop. <laughs> when, push, oh, but, when push comes to shove, make sure your first response is always a threat. <laughs> that's right. Well, I just assume people will feel threatened by my profile picture. So I 
That's New York State of mind. <laughs> his profile picture is just like, uh, that dude's big. <laughs> <laughs> I should temper my response here. <laughs> uh, I'm going to put the over on five beers. I think I'll go over five beers. Why are you drinking five beers? What the hell for? Well, I mean, I got engaged. I had to celebrate somehow. I thought we were like tampering that exp- that uh, that excitement until she tells all her friends or whatever. No, I'm mean, there. Can... By the way, is she there right now? Uh, she's in the kitchen. I think she's reheating pizza. Carly, you want me to get her in here? Yeah, Carly. <laughs> she already sounds like a husband yelling for his wife. Carly, <laughs> get in here. Get in here. <laughs> hey. Major 75-year-old man vibe right there. <laughs> Hello? They, they want to talk to you. Go Jace. Hey, how many friends do you how many friends do you are you what are you doing right now? Is that a cat? That was my dog. Oh, okay. <laughs> she was like holding it by the neck or something. Um you want to say hi? You say hi? Hi puppy. Hey pup pup. What's up? I know. Look. I know. Hey, congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Why, yeah, why haven't right. you told everybody yet? Why we're breaking this news on the podcast and we're like we're supposed to have to hush hush about it? Yeah, no, it's not that I'm like consciously hush hush. Um, it is because I'm depressed <laughs> and it takes too much energy to do that, and I'm not in a space where I can do that can, right can now. You just, can you just send a mass text out like? I think they would kill me. Like, make it super impersonal. Just be like, hey, you know what? I'm engaged. Thoughts. You know what I mean? Basically. (laughs) (laughs) And just create a free-flowing conversation based on that. And then then you're done with it. Yeah. There's an idea. For sure. You Mm -hmm. don't sound like you're going to do that, though, based on your facial expressions. I don't think it's my best move. Okay. But it's something to consider. There you go. Something to consider. Hey, um... We already we broke the news on this podcast, so you might want to send a warning out. Just be like, "Hey, if you listen to podcasts, just don't for a minute, you know, (laughs) and and leave it at that, just in case, because otherwise you might get a text when you're not expecting one." As somebody who's been engaged twice, I just posted it on social media and let people figure it out on their own. I felt like that isn't that a way to just like get it all done, right? That's why social media was invented, so you can talk to relatives that you don't want to talk to without talking to them, basically, right? Well, that part's taken care of. Like, all of my relatives already know. Okay. Um, because I just told my mom and my dad, and they took care of that. Um, it's the it's the, it's the the friends okay. who can't get, like, an individual text. All right. Well, the last question I, ha- last question I have for you is, what's the breakdown of how many of them are going to be happy that you're marrying Alex versus how many, them, how many of them will be expressing concern immediately? I have had no concerns yet, so yep. that's. Are you anticipating any? No. <laughs> Let me. Dang it. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm expressing concern. <laughs> Ravi, what about you? <laughs> I think Ravi, Jacob, and I are all like, "Wait a minute, what?" <laughs> <laughs> I hate you all. <laughs> I, that's... I, just, I just don't want you to change, Alex. I I want you to, you know, just. Stay your free spirit itself. We're, we've been dating for four years. You've known me 
my, like our friendship has hasn't spanned as long as our relationship. I'm literally the person that I am. <laughs> that you've known the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Robbie dug himself a hole on that one. I, I think the only changes I've noticed in Alex are he shaves more often and the hair doesn't get quite as shaggy. So those all seem <laughs> oh, like those all seem Thursday. Yeah, but that's, a, that's that's pandemic aided. I'm not bashing him for that one. Like I understand he's a little anxious about going around to getting a haircut, but I think the two the major differences I've noticed are improvements. So I think uh, he he made a good choice. I think in my opinion, I'm more I mean, early. Ended up doing our little Ricky and Big Shot Bob podcast, and I don't know who else to blame that on. So <laughs> that one. <laughs> Yeah, my prayers are to Carly, not to Alex. I think he, I think he'll be okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. I have such a great support system. Yeah, here, don't you I? sure do. <laughs> All right, appreciate you, uh, Carly. If you want to tap tap in on this last question, we're about to wrap up, but feel free. Um, I'm making lemon bars, so I'm gonna go. Oh, lemon okay. bars are my favorite. Bye. Oh, Robbie's coming over. He sounds like he's I love yeah, no problem. Yeah, come on over. Bring all four of your dogs, Robbie. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the dogs are super invited to our lemon party. She didn't sound like Robbie was super invited, though. Interesting. I was like, do I have to drop them off and like wait for <laughs> Yeah. All right, you wait outside. I'll bring the lemon bars. Thanks for the puppies. I'll bring three of them. Callie's kind of a cranky old lady. <laughs> our last question, our last question of this wonderful episode that I wish wouldn't have to end. Um, last three game averages, 24% field goal, three point shooting, uh, nine assists per game. Uh, rest of biggies play 41%, 15 assists per game. Have teams defended us or schemed us better? Or are we just in a mid season slump? Um, Rob, you want to go first? Yeah, I mean, I, to, I mean, they're just better teams also. Like, in general, the conference teams are going to be better than everybody but Kansas, right? I mean, yeah. am I missing something there? Like, you're No, just you playing, are not. No, you are not. Nebraska sucks, yep. Yeah, you're just playing better competition, so that's a lot of it. Like, it's not – it doesn't have to get too complicated. And plus, there's like an institutional knowledge at these places at most of them that they know how Creighton plays. They know how they like to defend Creighton with their style of basketball. It's not like, oh, we play this team once every six years, so let's throw a scout together. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a lot more – it's always like this. This isn't unusual. And the scouts are always better in conference. And the teams are better in conference. Not to mention Creighton got off to a little bit of a slow start because – um, they didn't have a full run up like they would in a normal season where they can kind of hit their groove as an offense. So I would have expected the numbers to be better if they had your normal 12, 13 non-conference games heading into conference play. You know, I don't think there's anything like to be concerned about or anything systemic is you're playing better teams that are more used to playing you. And so the numbers are going to go down a little bit. Okay. Maybe I didn't read it properly or you didn't understand it properly, but that was a horrible answer. Alex, you want to try? You want to reread the question? Like, Can you reread the question? Yeah, I'm going to reread the question because I was like, does he know what he what I asked him? Like, <laughs> So the last three games, one without Marcus, two with him, Butler, Providence, UConn, the averages are Creighton is shooting 24% from three and averaging nine assists per game. In the, in the Big East games prior, which are Marquette, Seton Hall, St. John's twice, UConn once, Providence once, Xavier once. 
Creighton's shooting 41% from three and averaging 15, 15 assists per game. Okay, yeah. I don't know where I heard non-conference in there. Yeah, no. <laughs> I was going to say, does he know what he just – I think I just heard prior to that in, yeah, big, no, no, no. in the same sentence, and I put yeah. it together as prior to Big East. Um, to be fair, I was responding to a text while you read that question the first time. Gotcha. So that was part of the issue. I was like – because uh, that was like a – that was a mess, that answer was. I just, terrible like, answer. I apologize. Yeah. Um, normally I'm better than that. You've seen me do this on radio. Before. Absolutely. That's why I was concerned. I was like, is he having a stroke right now? What's nope. I uh, <laughs> just was too focused in on the text and the ears weren't turned up yeah. enough for the question. All right, let's try this again. Let's try it so, again. <laughs> <laughs> Take two. <laughs> um, I think it goes back to what I was talking about earlier with um, this being kind of a streakier team than we've seen in years past. Like the, the assists are going to go down because – you only get assists when you make shots, right? So that kind of goes hand in hand. But I think a lot of it is just this is a team that is a capable shooting team and has some good shooters on it, but it's not a hyper-consistent shooting team. Denzel's kind of streaky. Damian Jefferson's kind of streaky of when and if he shoots them. Mitch has been streaky this year. Um, even zagorowski has been streaky this year in terms of just coming off of the injuries and stuff on how, we, how well he's shooting the ball. And then you start throwing wild cards in there like O'Connell and Sharif and Antoine Jones. I think this is just the nature of this team is a streaky shooting team. And it's unusual for us as Creighton fans to see a team that's less consistent from the three point line. Yeah. Alex, you need me to read that. Was that a more coherent answer? Yeah. That made a lot more sense. Certainly. I already talked about this earlier and I said they're in a slump, Mm -hmm. but because I've been, uh, all over the place this entire podcast. I'm going to say that these teams are scheming them better and just playing more physical and not allowing them um, any space in the passing lanes. So to completely uh, contradict what I said earlier, I think it's Big East teams scheming them better. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really I, – I, I just don't know what causes, like, a good team to go into a slump or – I don't know what, like, if if – to Robbie's point, I don't know what causes streakiness. I think it's like unpredictable. So it's hard for me to say it's based on what the opponent's doing. Um, especially because they already played Providence and UConn. However, they didn't really play great offensively against those teams when they played them. So the fact that two of those teams are right back to back against each other in those three games that we're sampling here. Like, let's, I mean, let me just go back and look to make sure I'm, you know, at least being consistent with it. Um, now, I think the theory that Creighton, in general, not this year specifically, but in general, shoots worse in slower-paced games. I think they like getting their shots kind of in tempo. A, because you have a little bit of a scrambling defense, and B, I just think it gets more into their rhythm. So that could be it. Maybe there's a correlation with some of these teams – Providence and UConn specifically slowing the pace down and that leading to some of the streakiness, but that's just a half-baked theory. I haven't looked into that too much. Yeah. Well, and then you look at the time off, right? Because they played that shitload of games early, then they had the week off to, to rest and recuperate, and they came back and they played St. John's and Seton Hall, and they had another week off after that. So it's like those two games, they played extremely well because of the rest, and then maybe they were – I don't know, overrested with that extra week off or just completely threw them off their rhythm. But something happened in that week in between the Seton Hall game 
or maybe it was the St. John's game. I think it was the St. John's game and the Butler game. And it was just that week off, I think, kind of threw them out of their offensive sink and rhythm. And uh, and now they can just maybe toss themselves back into it at some point because I think it's just a slump, honestly. But it could also be uh, Big East team scheming them better. Yeah, so they shot 30% from three the first time they played Providence and UConn and then 23% the second time. So I'm just going to chalk that up to, like, that's just a tough, long, physical, quick opponent to get shots off against, and then, like, that's basically it. Like Legs, too. If you're playing a team that makes you defend, you know, for 30 seconds and they get offensive rebounds, you have to defend for 20 more, like, your legs just aren't going to be as good, you know, and that's a big part of shooting the ball, too. Like, I think there's a lot of different factors here. When I say, like, streaky – And the assists, too, the assists come with made shots. So, I mean, yeah, a shooting slump correlates – or a low assist number correlates with a poor shooting performance. So, yeah. Yeah, you don't get assists for misses. So, like, you're making the exact same read, the exact same passes, and if the shot rims out, like, sorry. It doesn't count. Right. Right? Um, Now, I have seen in some analytics, like, potential assists or whatever as, like, people start to measure those. And then you're talking about something else. But to me – streakiness comes from just being like slightly less of a good shooter right and i think this is a slightly less good shooting team than it was last year you take away an nba level shooter from the roster and that's going to happen especially when you replace them with three basically average to like they're not shooters they might be capable of making threes but they're not shooters quote unquote right and so when you add that to the mix of things it's just a result it's it's like when people complain about losing close games, you lose close games when you're good, but not good enough. That's what like, there's no hump to get over. It's not mysterious. When you lose games consistently in the last few minutes, it's because the other team's better. Right. And when you start winning those games, it's because you've improved and you've gotten better. The better team wins those games more often than not because they have better players. It's the same thing with shooting. If you're, if you've got some good shooters, but, not the quantity that they've had in years past, you're going to be a streaky shooting team because the two or three guys that you're comfortable shooting the ball aren't going to get as clean of looks as if you have four or five guys that you're comfortable shooting the ball. It's just a matter of having quality shooters on your team. And this team has just a little less quality shooters on the team. That's all it is. Yeah. I think you're on point there. Um, Let's wrap up there as Villanova, Beats Providence by 15. Thanks for nothing, Friars. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Villanova's probably got the league wrapped up now with like four games to go, essentially. That's because they're only going to play like eight games. Yeah, they only got like two games left from their schedule based on all their Brayton's going to end up like 10 and 5. And Villanova's going to be like, we were 7-0, baby. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Yeah, so uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Thanks for chiming in with questions. Um. Check out whiteandbluereview.com for the post-game coverage. This podcast will be on iTunes and SoundCloud later on uh, tonight. And then, Alex, what you got going? Are you writing anything fun for people? They should look um, No. Okay. Um, so if you want to go into what I want you to do is hit up Alex on Twitter and congratulate him for on his engagement. And yeah, hopefully what that will do is cause such a mass flood of congratulations that Carly's yep. friends will hear it through the grapevine. And then they'll all be like, what the hell? Why didn't you tell me? Why did I have to hear it like this? And then that would be really and, funny. And that creates needless drama. So if you want to congratulate me, just if you have my number, text me or just send me a DM. Do not publicly do it. 
Listen, if needless, Carly's, needless yeah, drama, needless drama is entertaining. This is America. Create needless drama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Honor Alex's wishes. If you know Carly's friends, don't brag to him that you know what's going on. But yeah, that's you. But you know, I'm just kidding. Do it, um, <laughs> Ravi. <laughs> Ravi, what you got? What's your? What are we? What are we next hearing you on the airwaves? Uh, yeah, so I'll, I don't think I'm on Wednesday because it's an early tip uh, for pregame, but uh, I'll be on Thursday for Creighton Athletics Hour on 1620. That's at 6 o'clock. Okay. And then uh, next Saturday I should be on as well for pregame of DePaul. So that's where I'll be on 1620, and then you can find me on Twitter also. Don't congratulate me on anything because that would be really confusing. What if, like, we congratulate Ravi on knowing Alex for getting engaged, and then, like, that's how it happens? There's probably enough degrees of separation from me and Carly's friends yeah. that it, there would yeah. be no danger zone there. So, so just tweet, like, yeah, yeah, tweet at R A Lula and say but don't, but don't, but don't, but don't tag Alex. Just say tweet at R A Lula, but say congratulations, Alex and Carly. Your friend Alex getting engaged. Don't tag Alex. Yeah, right. And Robbie will like retweet like all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay, there. Yeah, I'll get it. It's a little. I'm like the uh, operator back in the old days when you had. Yeah, exactly. But uh, you like my secretary. So we'll we'll flood Alex with the emotion of being congratulated by a massive number of people, and we won't ruin any of Carly's friendships. Exactly. We figured it out. Yeah, that's what we usually do when we get together, right? (laughs) We solve problems. Solve problems, baby. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We will talk to you. When's our next game? Wednesday? I don't even know. I try to live one day at a time. What? Seton Hall Wednesday. Oh, they're going to Seton Hall again? Yeah. Wow, that thing's already being rehashed, huh? They're ready to – Seton Hall's ready to do that one more time, are they? That's right. I guess we'll see if they're ready or not. They weren't ready the first time. Oh, I'd want to like sit on that a little bit longer, but okay. All right. 40, what was it? 42 point lead at one point, right? That game, if, if Mac didn't pull, put walk-ons in with six minutes left, that's a 50 point game. Yes. No question about it. That's like 106, 53. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Wow. That's poor Seton Hall, man. They just, they just lost to Nova. They beat anybody after Creighton smoked them? Ooh, I'm trying to think. Yeah, they beat DePaul. I remember I was watching it. Yeah, everybody's get right game. Everybody's get right. Game. Uh, yeah, they yeah. beat DePaul. They got postponed against Xavier, and then they lost to Nova. Yeah, and then they got postponed against Butler because even though Butler had a false positive, so Seton Hall got like a kind of a a little bit of break there because they get extra rest on due to a false positive. Now they have a week yeah, off. They've only, they've only played two games since Creighton had them catch these hands. Catch <laughs> these hands. Thanks, since Creighton was ready, walked into a bar brawl and they were like, wait, we weren't ready for this. <laughs> Basketball game. Um, all right, everybody. We'll talk to you uh, Wednesday then. Thanks for tuning in.